0: Welcome to Fountain Springs Online. At Fountain Springs, we believe in showing unconditional love, irrational generosity, and being unwavering in our mission to show people who Jesus is. We are one church in multiple locations that exist to help grow and guide your relationship with Jesus. We are so glad you've joined us today, and we hope that we can encourage, challenge, and support you in your walk with Jesus. Feel free to join us this coming weekend at any of our locations and services, or call or email us so we can help you in any way. We are so glad that you've joined us today at Fountain Springs Online. Now let's turn our attention to this week's message. Well, welcome. If this is your first time, you're, you're behind a little bit, so don't worry about that. Uh, because of the internet, which I'm presupposing all of us have heard about and know about, uh, you can go back and catch up. This is the third weekend of a series we've been doing about maintenance. It, specifically, what does it look like to not necessarily be religious? Yeah, we can talk about that at church. But what's it look like to have a healthy relationship With God, like a legit one, one that's like really good, really healthy, really awesome, not pretending, not hoping one day it will be. What's it look like to do some maintenance on a relationship with God? So that's what we've been talking about. This is the last weekend. Now, if you've missed it, don't worry. I think this will still make sense. Uh, At least that's the goal. But I want to do so by leading into this last week with a story. Uh, The story's true. I want you to actually follow along with this story of something that happened. It was documented, and it will teach us something. Here's the first part. This will, I think, make sense as I explain it. So the 12 called a meeting of the believers. Uh, if you are like 12. 12, the disciples. Here's the problem. The disciples were having trouble doing their job. I don't know if you've ever been there. If you've ever felt somewhat overwhelmed, no? Yeah, me either. So the 12 called a meeting of all the believers. They said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Now, this is not going, food programs are bad. No, not at all. They're actually saying, hey, someone needs to run the food program. Someone needs to preach. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom. Now, don't too quickly go over that. I'm hoping you lock this in, so let me just help lock it in. And so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, full of the Spirit, and wisdom. We will give them this responsibility. So here's what just happened, just very quickly. The disciples were overwhelmed. They apply a great leadership principle called delegation, right? You got it? Okay. Okay. Well, here's why I want to tell you this story. Is One of the individuals selected to get things delegated to is a guy named Philip. Philip has what appears to be a good reputation of some sort. He's living life pretty, pretty good, got wisdom, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning God dwells in him. And so Philip is one of the people chosen. If you didn't get picked... For the basketball team or whatever team you know, it's a big deal when you get picked. He got picked. And so the story unfolds this way about Philip. Philip begins to help run the food program, right? Well, then he even begins to preach and, and teach as well. He goes to places and tells them about, about Jesus. He, he even helps heal some people. It's pretty incredible. But then God says something to Philip. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. I don't know if you ever had God say something randomly to you, but yes, that's what just happened. He's like, "Hey Philip, there's a road. Go to it." That's it. That's, yeah, oh, okay, normal for you, not normal for me to just have this, I need to go to this one road. Well, so he so he goes to the road, Which, if you've been a part of the series, we just showed a little bit of spiritual intimacy. Where he has given some weight to the voice of God in his life. So God tells him something as weird as, go to this one road. He goes. Dignified God's voice. He goes there and he meets, uh, meets an Ethiopian. Again, the story gets, you're like, this is random. It sounds like I'm telling a joke, I'm not. He goes and meets an Ethiopian. Specifically, this Ethiopian is the treasurer for the queen of Ethiopia. And as they were traveling in, some would say, somewhat of a caravan type thing, the story unfolds more. Seated in his carriage, the the treasurer of Ethiopia... He was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. If you're new to the Bible, that's a book in the Bible, in the Old Testament. He was reading out loud the Bible. He's reading it out loud. Now, so God does this. Now that God said, go to this road, he goes to the road, like, cool, I'm at the road now. I've met some great people. This is really neat, God. Why do you have me here? He overhears this guy reading the Bible. God tells him, hey, go run up by the carriage, the cart this guy's in, which is weird. Somewhat stalker-like. Can we just admit that? So he runs up. Here's this guy reading the Bible out loud. So I'll just show you what happens. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, hey, uh, you understand that? I mean, that's, I'm summarizing. Do you understand what you're reading? Okay. The man replied, "How, how can I? Unless someone instructs me. We talked about this the second week of this series. How often times we need someone's help to understand the Bible. And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. Have you weirded out yet? You've got Philip who's like, you know what, I'm doing what God wants me to do, preaching. Oh, you want me to go to the road? Goes to the road. Goes to the road. Oh, hey, look, meeting in Ethiopian. That's awesome. Oh, you want me to go up next to the carriage? He's reading the Bible. Oh, cool. You want me to get into the carriage? Now it's weird. So he's in the carriage. And we get evidence in the Bible of something awesome. I might have to explain it. You might be wondering, this Ethiopian treasure, wonder what he's reading, what the Bible tells us. Here's what it says. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. Uh, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Hopefully, you picture the treasurer of the Queen of Ethiopia in his carriage or whatever that it was, reading this out loud about someone being led like a sheep would to death. And Philip sitting next to him. Philip, someone who has just been spending a We don't know how much time telling people about Jesus. If you aren't familiar with this, this is a prophecy that he's reading. And it's all about Jesus. How Jesus was led to the cross like a sheep was led to death. Jesus didn't pipe up and whine and complain and yell at people. He was silent the whole time, was humiliated, stripped of his clothes. And this Ethiopian's like, what does this mean? Who is this about? And Philip's like, oh my. I know the answer. I'm probably adding in some things. So the way the Bible tells us this unfolds, Philip says, well, I can tell you who that's all about. That's about Jesus. Jesus let himself be killed as forgiveness, that his blood would be shed so all of our sins would be forgiven and we could have salvation. (laughs) And the Ethiopian says, I believe says, so this Jesus guy you talk about, I want to follow him. And in the midst of their travels, they pass some water. And the Ethiopian's like, is there any reason that I can't get baptized today? Philip's probably like, I don't have any good, re- yeah, yeah you, let's go do this. And he baptizes the treasurer of the Queen of Ethiopia. And the day started with, hey, go to that road. You may not know all that just happened. I don't think Philip did when it happened. I don't know if you've ever been a part of something when God's like, hey, I want you to do this, and you're like, I have no idea why. In fact, sometimes we don't know why, so we say, no. I thought I would show you something. Uh, Here's what just happened. This happened. Uh, Philip tells the Ethiopian about Jesus. I think we're clear. I told you the story. It's in the Bible. If you don't believe me, right there. This is what just happened, but you may not know what preceded this. Let me show you a little bit of what preceded this. Before Jesus, salvation was basically just for the Jews. Sounds a bit exclusive, doesn't it? Well, that's the way it was. God's people. It's pretty much just for them, and and that's how it worked. If if you were, as they would call, a Gentile, um, disqualified. So for years upon years upon years, only the Jews could walk with God in heaven. However, there were prophecies. People wrote things that God told them to write about the future. In fact, one of them would be this, Psalm 68. If you're ever to read Psalm 68, there is a, there's a little prophecy in there that talks about that, that one day, get this, the people of Ethiopia would surrender to God and would walk with God. Hopefully that piques your interest a little bit. That you just hear a story about a guy named Philip who tells a what Ethiopian about Jesus. If you don't know how this has played out in history, uh, I can show you... uh, so the gospel gets brought back to Ethiopia by this treasurer. We know that for a fact, brought it back. And there was not like an immediate impact. Just people began to hear, some people began to believe. But what we know this is approximately around 333, 340, the king of Ethiopia decided, hey, I believe too about Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and I believe. In fact, he so believed, he decided to make following Jesus the national religion of Ethiopia. And now today, they say roughly 60 plus million Ethiopians claim to follow Jesus. If you don't know your demographics, that's over half of the nation of Ethiopia. Philip didn't know what was going on. He's just just supposed to go to a road (laughs) than to walk up next to a carriage. And all of us are like, if God would just give me kind of a ten-point outline. Anyone ever want? I've asked for actually a bigger list than that. Uh, Philip didn't know. But what Philip's life shows us is true about your life. Our life, our lives actually, are part of a bigger story. And we are gathered. I don't know why you're listening. <laughs> I don't know why you decided, okay, I'm going to listen to the sermon. But maybe, maybe God gathered us. So we would just simply acknowledge, maybe there's a bigger story than just my story. Maybe there's a bigger story than just this moment. Maybe God has this big, grand story that he's invited us to be a part of. If you've ever wanted to be a part of something bigger than you, a bigger story a meaningful life that contributed to the bigger story. I would tell you, in summary, you need to invite God into that because he's the one that puts the story together and gives you the power to live that story out. He's your supplier, your provider, your sustainer. God is your creator, so you, the best story to live is with him. So we as a whole church have been like, okay, if we want to be a part of the bigger story, then we need to have some sort of a legitimate relationship with God, a real one, not a fake religion. If you want fake religion, there's plenty of options. But if you want to be a part of the bigger story, then you need to do, I need to do some maintenance on our relationship with God who designed the bigger story. So like I said, if you've not been here, let me catch you up. Here's the three parts. If you've ever wanted to be part of the bigger story, like what does, what does it look like? Maybe you even thought to be religious or to, to, to be good at the God thing, I would say. What's it look like to have a healthy relationship with God? Spiritual intimacy. Philip exampled that a little bit by, you know, hey, Listening to God, there appeared to be a normal routine where if God spoke, he would show up, even if it was, hey, go to this one road and then run alongside a carriage. I mean, that's okay. Uh, Then you notice that he hears a guy reading the Bible. And If you've ever felt like when you open up the Bible, you're like, I don't get it, set it down. To have a healthy relationship with God, you need to know the Bible. But one we have not dealt with See, many people talk to God. Many people read about God. Not everyone follows God. It's called holy obedience. And that is what we are going to lean into. What does it look like to be more than, what do they call them, uh, pew warmers? We don't have pews. If you're we're like, what? But what does it look like to be More than someone who just soaks up information and then soaks up information and then soaks up information, talks to God, soaks up information. What's it look like to get out and do something? And Philip has, I would say, two lessons to teach us. I read you the story. I wanted you to see the story, but there's two things to learn in that. The first thing that I think he would tell us is to live holy obedience. Uh, we need to take sin seriously. And when I would say many of us uh, don't take it seriously anymore because everyone sins. <laughs> uh, I sin. There you go. Confession right there. I, I think many of us have no longer taken it seriously. If, if you don't remember what I read to you already, this might example a little bit. Do, do you remember that Philip was chosen based on his reputation? His wisdom and that the Holy Spirit dwelled in him. He was not chosen because he was perfect. Let's get that settled, okay? But he was living in a way that appeared, at least to others, okay, that he was taking sin seriously. We live in an age now where, because every one of us sins and is very imperfect, we're like, yeah, just sin is like necessary, it's normal. Everyone does it, so what's the big deal? Romans. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin. Power of sin. Dead to it, and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Uh, as we've talked about in this, I thought I might help a little bit with this because we're like, dead, alive, yeah, lost its meaning to me, right? Dead, alive. I studied the original words. Basically, the original words mean this, inactive versus active. What this is trying to help you and I get, whether we choose to get it or not. So you should consider yourself inactive to the power of sin. Sin should be inactive in your life. And God should be incredibly active in your life inactive versus active. I'll sum it up. Either God or sin are active in your life. If you don't agree with me, that's fine. I am regularly disagreed with by my kids. I'm used to it now. It's normal. But I would tell you, if you were to study God's Word, you would learn that it says that we can't serve more than one master. And if you've ever tried, you know it's incredibly difficult. And I'd say right now, all of us, myself included, some days it goes back and forth between days, that certain days it's like, yeah, I pretty much actively did whatever I wanted to. And I know it was against God's desires and it hurt my relationship with him. But we actively sinned. And other days you are like, man, that was awesome. Felt like God and I just walked step and step all day long. And he was super active. But I know some of us right now are like, yeah, but everyone sins. Everyone sins. I can't avoid sin. Let me me read you some more Romans. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Again, there's a little bit of that death talk. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Let me clarify this. When you decide to follow Jesus as your savior, when you, when you decide to say, I am going to live for Jesus, you are filled with his spirit and sin no longer has power over you. So why do we still sin? Some of are like, oh no. I must not have... The Holy Spirit. I mean, I sinned, and some of you are like, I hope he doesn't know. I don't know. But you wonder, like, we, we sin, we make choices that we shouldn't make, but you're like, wait a minute, sin doesn't have power over me. Why do Christians, Christians, why do Christians who say that no longer does sin have power over them, why do they keep sinning? Choice. That is a beautiful and tragic word, choice. Many of us right now are followers of Jesus. We're like, hey, Pastor David, teach me what it looks like to have a healthy relationship with God. And, and, but, but on a regular basis, not because it has power over us anymore. We're just simply still choosing sin. We're just choosing it. It's why, okay, this may not be your life, it's mine. I'm like, hey, I'm going to eat super healthy. And then pizza sounds awesome, so I choose pizza. That's how it works. And then someone will like, I thought you... Yeah, no, the pizza doesn't have power over me. Sometimes I would like to lie to people and say it does. This year, on vacation... Every day I have to pass by a Krispy Kreme donut place. <laughs> Multiple times. I never went there once. Somebody like, do we? I don't know. Is that. And what I learned is this it's a choice. When it comes to life, many of us, listen, are choosing to not be a part of the bigger story. It's just a choice. It's not that God's like, yeah, you're, you're not allowed, you're disqualified, and we're choosing. I thought something might uh, help illustrate this. Mr. Nasseri, you may not know Mr. Nasseri. Uh, there's a movie done about him uh, called Terminal. If you don't know this uh, he he was kicked out of Iran and and when he was kicked out of Iran they basically threw him into an airport sent him to to Paris. In in the midst of all of that he, he had his his papers stolen from him so he lands <laughs> this is not really that funny I'm just laughing because I know the whole story but uh, he he gets his papers taken from him and he's stranded in essence he doesn't have any citizenship anymore and he's like oh no well obviously they don't want him like just s- staying there. So they send him off, they they try to send him off to England. It's just funny how they're like, you take him. No, you take him. Uh, And he ends up being back at the Paris airport. No papers, no way to get anywhere. And someone decided, okay, we just won't deal with it for a while. And for 11 years, Mr. Nasseri, lived on a bench in the Paris airport for 11 years, 11 years, 11, 11, 11, 11, just let that lock in, 11 years. When my plane is late 30 minutes, I almost lose it. I don't know if you've ever stayed all night in an airport. (laughs) I've not met many people going, you know what, that was great. Slept so well, <laughs> 11 years, there's pictures of him on his bench, living, collecting things. The only way for him to survive is he would go to some of the workers, you know, around the airport, That's, and he'd say, hey, can you help out a little bit, and they would. We'd get hooked up with food once in a while, yeah, you've probably already plugged this in. The bathroom was used uh, for his hygiene. Now some of us are never touching an airport bathroom ever again. 11 years, 11 years. Because he had to, couldn't get out. No one would let him get out. They literally sent him to what was called Terminal 1 and he just lived there 11 years. Finally, uh, I think they got tired of him. I think I'm just, I, didn't, I don't know them or who. I think he got tired of them. like, You know, what, we, we need to change this. So, France, someone got him some paperwork, got him a, the ability to travel anywhere he could travel, anywhere he wanted to go. He could travel there. They gave him like some sort of French citizenship and stuff. Someone made some sort of deal and like, hey, man who's been living here for 11 years. You now can go anywhere you want. I don't know where you'd go. I'd have a list, probably, of places that I'm going to then go. He didn't go anywhere for another seven years. Seven more years. He could have walked right out of that airport, been like, hey, well, so France has been good to me. He could have Begged for some more money and gotten a flight somewhere else for seven more years. He was cool with living on a bench. And you and I hear a story like that, and can we just admit that we have lost respect for this individual? Most of us are like, you know what? <laughs> That's what my I want my kids. That's I'm gonna tell them this story. And I want them to grow up to be like that man. No, you're not. None of us are finding this inspiring. or Most of us are like, you moocher. Maybe you've got other words in your mind. You're like, come on, man. Seven more years? But are you willing to admit that maybe, as absurd as his story is, that maybe your version of life actually looks like this? where by choice you're staying put, it's safer, it's predictable. You know how to get what you need to get to survive. And many of us would mock an individual like Mr. Nasiri and live the exact same kind of life. If you want to be a part of the bigger story, You need to start taking sin seriously because if you don't, then by choice, you've decided to disqualify yourself from the bigger story. And most of us right now on a daily basis are choosing to sin. In other words, choosing to hurt our relationship with God. And God's like, I got something bigger for you to be a part of. And Philip teaches us, just by his privileged opportunity to be a part of the bigger story, we learn he's got a great reputation. Things are, he's living life as he should, not perfectly, but he's taking sin seriously. That brought him into a new level of living the bigger story. He teaches us that, to take sin seriously. But that's not the only thing he teaches us. One other thing, very simple. To live holy obedience Take opportunities seriously. See, some of us are like, uh, uh, the sin thing, David, I got it. Good for you. But many of us are taking sin seriously. We got that. We got but the opportunities that we are faced with each day, that we are given each day, we're not seizing those moments because they seem weird at first, right? Like, hey, go to this one road, and you're like, uh, what do I eat for lunch? Because I don't know what I'm hearing right now. Many of us, we hear these thoughts and we think they're ourselves and they're not God. Perhaps God will say, Hey, I want you to go talk to that person. You're like, That's weird, whatever. They're cool. Or we forget. Or maybe when God prompts you to say, Hey, why don't you call someone or send them a note? Or why don't you go help them this or that? Or why don't you? And we're like, Uh huh. Or maybe when a, hypothetically, a pastor gets up and says, Hey, have you ever thought about serving somewhere? Yeah, that's his job. That's what he's supposed to say. Do you take opportunities from God seriously? Let me show you what Jesus said. Maybe we'll learn it in a different context. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. That's a lot of authority. Therefore, therefore, in other words, therefore I'm about to give you the opportunity of a lifetime. Okay. Therefore, go and make disciples, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey. Hmm. To obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In other words, Jesus is saying, All right, all right, all right, I'm about to to head out, I'm going to go to heaven. But I want to give you an opportunity. Here's your opportunity, and he was, he was saying this knowing that this was an opportunity for people who decided to follow him, to be, to be Christians, to give you an opportunity. Here's your opportunity to help other people know who Jesus is. Each day you and I are given, I call it a gift, to in some way show people who Jesus is. It's incredible if you take it. We as a church have had many of these opportunities come our way. I thought I would example it and maybe help some of us. About three years ago, the leadership of this church felt God was having a, hey guys, why don't you go to that road moment? Here's what God was messing with us about. Hey, uh, so Fountain Springs Church is like just one church in one place, one building. Yeah, that's limited. Well, but this is the way we've always done it, God. Uh, you know, I know, what if Fountain Springs Church were to become one church still, but have multiple locations? Kind of like McDonald's figured out a long time ago. And I was like, well, I mean, I like Big Macs. Okay. So we said yes to an idea that we didn't know how to do it. We didn't have the money to do it, the people to do it. And we were like, I don't. It's still to this day to describe what I just described to you, the amount of people that asked me which church I'm a pastor of. And, like, and, and I'm, so what happened was this. We, we launched another location. Fountain Springs Church. Became one church with multiple locations. We put a location in a, in a prison. And then we put one on the east side of Rapid City. Yeah, the same city. So we launched it. And I want to tell you what we learned. Here. We must sacrifice the comfort we know to live the bigger story we want. And see, this is why many of us have never walked out a life of holy obedience because we hit the speed bump of comfort where we're like, oh. I, I asked some friends, uh, I was like, hey, why'd, why'd you go from one church, you know, and, and west, and why'd you go over to, to east? Why'd you do that? Is it because I've made you feel guilty because that was the goal? And I know they're like, no, 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 that's not, that's not why. Um, and I got this response. I, I'm going to keep it safe on, on anonymity, but I asked them why. Obviously, here's the answer. Obviously, the proximity of, of East was appealing. But our heart for moving over was the opportunity of being a part of starting up a new location. We loved serving at West and being involved there, but everything was established. There were solid staff and volunteers in every aspect of the church. We knew East was going to need people to help launch serving teams and create community. We wanted to be on the ground level of helping East become established. An opportunity. An opportunity that didn't have a whole lot of models in this whole region. And so what we did was this this is crazy. We, the same church, one church, we didn't have a church split, for those of you who have heard that. Uh, no church split. It was, hey, some, some core people left the regular, I'm going to attend at this west location, and now I'm going to attend at a different location. Same sermon, all that, all the same. And so many have asked, hey, how has that gone, Pastor David? Like, we, how's that, how's that gone? I want to just show you one stat. I, I love stats. In 2017, 390 people at one location decided to follow Jesus. At another location, 249 people decided to follow Jesus. East is the 390. What if we hadn't done it? For me, I mean, I, I'm... I'm not naive to think, well, they would have gone to West. I don't know that. But what I know is if you're willing to get uncomfortable, you can walk into a bigger story that God has invited you to. I thought this would be a good point to tell you another thing we learned. Holy obedience is an opportunity not an obligation. And many of us are afraid to step in because we're afraid of how long that's going to last or if it's going to go well. And Philip teaches us, just go to the road. Just go to the road. So you and I, every single day, whether you know it or not, wake up to an opportunity. If you don't know what the opportunity is, I can sum it up into this 50,000 plus. According to the most recent census, there are over 50,000 people who write on the census, I have no faith, I don't even claim anything. Then add to that the folks who might claim it, but they don't live it. That sounds like an opportunity in our own backyard to show people who Jesus is. So if you want to know the opportunities that keep me awake at night, the opportunities that I get to talk to with different groups of people, it's this. There are people in our own backyard who don't know who Jesus is. What road does God want us to go to? If you wanna be a part of a healthy relationship with God, it's gotta go further than just learning about him and talking to him. There comes a moment that you must say out of bravery, out of extreme courage, I'm gonna do what he wants me to do. So my prayer is for all of us, that we would not just have conversations with God, and we would not just have information about him, but that we might be characterized as a church who does what we know should be done because there's opportunities. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for what you have done at the East location. So many stories of you intervening in the lives of hundreds of people. God, I I honestly just ask that you would continue to point out opportunities for us as a church. God, I I pray that you'll, you'll help us see it, not avoid it. Help us to see what you want done Help us to trust you. But God, I pray for the 50,000 plus. I pray for the folks who right now do not see any need for you. Maybe they don't even think about you at all. God, help us to love them the way you love them enough to get involved in their lives. God, we love you. Thanks for letting us gather. Thanks for letting us be a part of this. You're amazing. We pray this in the name of Jesus.